0: Good evening, everyone. All right. So, welcome to our Lenten series. Um, and for those who are worshiping with us online, I'm Clayton Wilfer, the pastor here at Joy Church. Uh, we are doing it a bit different uh, this, this season, this Lenten season. I've just got one announcement, then I'll tell you kind of how the evening will go. So, everybody has uh, on your seats, tickets. For the movie you don 't need tickets, actually, those tickets are to give away to other people, so to invite other people to come and see right so I was just talking with chris I, I mean they love the movie, so talk to them uh, but it's got it 's got golf it 's got horses it 's got a rodeo it 's got a love story it, it 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 has resentment, forgiveness grace faith i mean really What more could you want? So, what, cats? (laughs) Okay, Uh, see if you can find a faith-based story about cats. Do do cats have any faith whatsoever? I don't know. But, uh, so, that's the movie. Uh, Tonight, and for the other Wednesdays that we have going forward, it's going to be informal right? I've got a sports coat on, but no no suit and tie. So, I know. So, uh, in in a little bit, we'll have an opening. We'll actually have two songs for opening. Then, uh, I've asked people, six people, uh, sorry, five people to give a testimony or a talk about their walk of faith. And it's very important that we share more about our faith with each other, just not from here, but together as a body because it really actually strengthens the body in a very very good way so we'll have that then there's going to be another song Then i'm going to be giving talks and uh, uh in a moment i'll say what that is and then we'll have time of prayers i would like our prayers to be a little bit different too For those who are uh, with us online, it's going to be a little bit different because I would like people just to gather together in smaller groups and pray together. This is also part of the life of a church is to be able to pray with one another because you, well, you know this, when when you start to share prayers, you share things that are important in your life. And there's a type of fellowship there that is deeper than just the pastor praying. From the pulpit, uh, and then we'll have our uh, a closing song. So that's kind of the format for for each of the nights. And tonight, uh, the talk really is going to be, what is the history of the AFLC? And by the way, i i don't have I don't have sermon notes because it's not a sermon. But uh, I do have handouts. I mean, who would I be if I didn't have handouts, right? So there there are two things. If you want, and they're on the table over there, there's one handout that's called Standing Fast in Freedom. And that's really just about the history of the AFLC and the principles the, uh, on which we stand. And then there is another one that I would actually ask everyone to read before next week. Okay? This is a talk given by John Stensvag, so you get all these Norwegian names laying on this, but uh, it was at the 52nd Annual Conference of the Lutheran Free Church. It was actually quite a few years ago, Uh, but he gave this talk, and it really encapsulates the heart of the AFLC and what we're going for, so I'm going to be touching upon a lot of this in the next talk. But this, to me, is a very important document that I really would like everybody to read. And for those who are online, uh, if you want, email me, and I will send a PDF of it. Okay? All right. So with that, we are going to be singing songs. Most of them are going to be more familiar. There's a wide variety. And tonight, we have Regina and Susan Johnson, who are going to lead us in singing.
1: I have to change my talk already because you already know who I am. (laughs) Uh, But before before I begin, let's uh, begin a prayer. Will you please pray with me? Oh, Father, I pray your spirit upon this place tonight, upon these men and women and upon me. Open our hearts and minds to what you would have each of us hear. Please take me out of this talk rather work out your will through me using me as your instrument it's by your grace that i've been saved now please use me and these folks too so that others may share in your kingdom we pray this in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen well i was going to say my name is bill jenkins but i'll pass that up Uh, my My wife, Regina, and I began worshiping here at Joy roughly four years ago. Enough by introduction. I'm going to focus initially on the eighth verse of Psalm 51. It says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Sometimes we need to have our bones crushed for our own good. Let me give you an example from my life. But before I start the example, let me give you some background. I was born into a Lutheran home, and I attended church almost every Sunday from birth until I was 20 years old. During most of that time, my mother was the church organist. She had to be there on Sunday, so my sisters and I really had no choice. I grew up in Sunday school, learned a lot about God, both there in Sunday school and during confirmation classes. But regretfully, it was all just head knowledge. I had been gifted with acuity in math and science, so when I went to college, I studied engineering. Big surprise. It was there that I decided... I decided that if something could not be explained by logic, then it just had to be wrong. I also figured that the direction of my life was solely up to me, and I'd have to be good enough to make it a success. Away from my parents, I drifted away from church, and I met a young woman, Sandy, who thought a lot like me. We dated and ultimately married just after she graduated from college in 1972, a year after me. By then, I would joined the Air Force, and they had moved me to Luke Air Force Base outside of Phoenix. Sandy and I stayed away from church and focused on succeeding in the unfulfilling, worldly way. During that time, I was an angry young man, because I could see that try as hard as I might. I just wasn't cutting it as a success or as a husband. Our marriage lasted less than four years. She left me and I don't blame her. Nevertheless, I was devastated. This man who thought he could control everything by logic and will found out the truth. He could control nothing. I saw myself as a complete and utter failure. In the words of the psalm, my bones were crushed. Here I was, 2,500 miles away from my nearest relative, feeling rejected and alone. Remember my mother, the church organist? She was 2,500 miles away. But that didn't stop her from wanting to be a part of my life and nurturing me. In one of close to a million long-distance telephone calls, she softly suggested that I might want to go back to church, that no harm should come to me there. She knew that she couldn't push me into anything. had to be my idea. But because of how gently she said it, now I can see God's hand in it, I did go back to church. Using the phone book, I found the closest Lutheran church and began attending services. Amazingly, Sunday after Sunday, I wondered why, anybody, why are all these other people here? Because the sermons seemed to be prepared just for me. And I found it difficult to look like the macho man I thought I wanted to be while the tears were flowing because my heart was breaking. After a few Sundays, I was invited and I joined the uh, young adult group at the church. Over the next several months, these young new friends modeled God's love and grace to me in ways I had never witnessed before, let alone understood. They loved me not because of who I was, but because whose I was. I found out that the reason I had made such a mess of everything is because on my own, I can do nothing else. I found out that I desperately need a savior, just like all of you. I can't say exactly when it happened, but all that head knowledge that I talked about before made the journey to where really belongs to my heart. I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. I was surprised, really surprised, at the load that lifted off of my shoulders. I was free at last. All I had to do was surrender my will to him. Interestingly, in the words of the psalm, joy and gladness became a part of my everyday life. I'm convinced that the Ten Commandments are an incredibly gracious gift from God to us. On my own, I can keep none of them, and I tried for years. But it's because he loves us so much that he wants us to stand up next to his measuring stick and discover how deficient we really are. It was then, when I was at my lowest, when I called myself a failure, when my bones were crushed, and when I needed love the most. That's when he shared his love with me. And it was because I was at wit's end that I was finally finally willing to listen. Thank you, Lord, for allowing my bones to be crushed so that I might turn to you. Well, I was saved, but still my life was not yet where God wanted it to be. Three years later, after much growth, I finally got down to my knees and confessed to him that though I did not like this single life that I was living, in fact, I hated it, if that's what he had for me, then with his help, I'd do it the best I could. I had finally given my life completely to him. My heart had been changed. John fourteen twenty one says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Oh, so true. Well, in a further evidence of his grace, with, within just a few short weeks, I think it was three, after turning my life completely over to him, the Lord introduced me to a wonderful new Christian woman. Dee Dee and I had a whirlwind romance and were married in 1980. Our children were born uh, Christopher in 1982, Caroline in 1983. Dee Dee was the love of my life. We were blessed beyond our imaginations. Been 29 years. <sighs> I wish I could say that we lived happily ever after. In a way, we did. I think of her every day. Her memory will always be with me. See, Dee Dee was diagnosed with lung cancer just before Christmas in 1993. During the next year and a half, she endured two surgeries, two courses of radiation, chemotherapy, but to no avail. She was 45 years old when she died in June 1995, having lived a life of truly authentic piety, putting God first all the time. She was an incredible living witness to me and everyone she met we had almost 15 amazing years together. Chris was 13, Caroline 12 when she died. I found myself single again, but with an unwanted but necessary opportunity to rededicate myself to him. And that I did. And I have an example. Nearly five years later, I had experienced that helped me to see how much living a life of piety, again, putting God first all the time, had become a part of me. A member of our church, Dave Winning, died after an extremely brief battle with pancreatic cancer. Just like Dee had been, he was only 45. I knew Dave only as a member of our church and a teammate on the church softball team. He was the one who hurt me every time he made a throw in from the outfield to second base. I, I really didn't know his wife at all, but I knew she was hurting. Following the conclusion of his memorial service, and without any forethought at all, and I might say quite out of character for me at the time, as I greeted her in the back of the church, I heard these words come out of my mouth. I said, if you ever feel the need to talk with someone who has a chance of understanding what you're going through, give me a call. The Holy Spirit was at work in me. My heart ached for her. I knew I didn't have the ability to help, but I did have availability. Leave the rest to God. With him, all things are possible. Well, that was in December. In January, she actually did call. It wasn't the best time, though. The, the phone rang just as Caroline and I were about to leave for one of those can't-miss meetings at her school. But something in Dave's wife's voice told me it's very important. I talked to her as soon as possible that very night. So I arranged to call her back just as soon as Caroline, and I returned from school. When the meeting ended, we left immediately. I called as soon as we got home. I learned that she traveled a lot in her job and that she had always called Dave when she got safely to her destination, again, each night before bed to say good night, and each morning to begin her day. This was her first trip since Dave had died, and she had no one to call until she remembered my offer. We talked for at least an hour, half an hour that night, then again five days later. We continued to talk with more phone calls two or three times a week, and then occasionally in person, and ultimately regularly in person. Because I had turned my life over to God, He blessed me with a wonderful opportunity to be a blessing. And the joke was on me. I had thought that after five years since the loss of my wife, I could be of great help to her. What I didn't realize was there was so much ground I hadn't covered myself. My God-inspired offer to help her turned into a real blessing from the Lord as he used each one of us to minister to the other. God used the empathy that he had stirred up in me to provide healing for us both. Well, we're close, but that's not the end of the story. See, Dave's wife's name was Regina. Through this mutual aid and witnessing society of ours, we grew extremely close. We were married in March of 2002. Soon we'll be celebrating our 22nd anniversary. She is now the love of my life. God has blessed me two times over. There is so much more I could share. God continues to bless us, and we desire to share his blessings. Now I've got some questions for y'all. Answer them silently. Are you blessed by God? Do you understand that you are blessed to be a blessing? Are you willing to be a blessing? I pray you'll trust him to lead you in the way you should go, just as I trusted him when Regina needed a friend. Well, thank you for listening to me and just a little bit of my unfinished story. Clearly, there's more to come. I wonder what God has in store for me For all of us. Next. Remember, God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Amen.
2: Longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive?
0: A little bit different, I feel like we should pray, right? I always pray before the sermon, uh, Bill, thank you. really, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and by the way, I want to thank Regina too, because Regina's the one who said, we should have some talks. I was like, okay, so look, I don't come up with all the ideas, right we, we are a family together, and we work together. okay, so here we go. What is the history of the AFLC? What are the founding principles? So we're going to lay some groundwork tonight, uh, and again, there are handouts for those who want to do a deeper dive. So more th- nah, just let people get them as they so desire. Um, more than anything, you should know that the AFLC is rooted in revival, OK? So this is different than revivalism. Revivalism is where people get really excited, right? And there's the emotionalism, and you got to, like, it becomes a thing unto itself. But true revival is a work of the Spirit. It's not manufactured by man. That doesn't mean we can't do things, right? And as a matter of fact, we should do things together. But true revival is a work of the Spirit. So we are a Spirit-led organization, if you will, or fellowship. More than anything, we're Spirit-led. So it all started with this guy, Hans Nielsen haugi 1771 to 1824. He was a Norwegian farmer's son, and he... Uh, The Spirit truly moved in him. He became born again in a very powerful way. And so he went across Norway, and he would preach, and he would teach, and he would talk about personal salvation, a a message of repentance and personal salvation. One of the things that he focused on, which is actually what Bill talked about, so there's God at work here, right, is pietism. So Lutheran pietism we are rooted in that. Lutheran pietism started as a response as a response against dry intellectual doctrine. Like if any of you went to catechism in the old days there were like 50 million questions you had to be able to answer, right? But did that actually have a living faith? Well, for a lot of people, it didn't. It was just like you knew a lot of stuff. That's intellectualism. That's not a living faith. True pietism, and Bill talked about this, is putting God first in all that you do. It's a personal faith. It's a living faith. And there's also a study of God's Word within that. So we are called to be holy Now, is that something we put on? No, actually, God said this. In First Peter, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look, that's pietism at its very core. Pietism gets a bad rap because it can become very legalistic. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to follow all the rules, and if you don't follow all the rules, then you're going to go to hell. That's pietism in the wrong sense. And when you hear people from the Lutheran intellectual side go, oh, those pietists, look, they're just all legalistic, it's like, well, no, that's not what it's about. It's about being holy. So this is what Hans Nielsen haugi was doing. He was going all across the countryside. So, now, what do you think the effect of people who have a living faith, either in a household, in a town, in the nation, what do you think the effect of people uh, on the people when they really have a living faith? So, this is a little interaction here. What do you think? There's an awakening, definitely an awakening. They show more love for each other, inner joy. And I'm going to tell you something else. They stopped getting drunk all the time. No, I'm serious. They stop. Get, they alcoholism was rampant in the lower classes of Norway. And by the way, John Wesley, when he was preaching throughout England, England. You've heard of the gin bathtubs and all that. I mean, it was popular there. People drunk all the time. His preaching actually stopped all of the alcoholism. Not all of it, but a lot of it. It sobered up England. Haugi, as he was preaching, it sobered up a lot of the lower class of Norway. And women, you like this? The guys actually went back to work. Okay? This was one of the effects. Also, it affected the entire fabric of Norway. So people learned to read. So literacy rate went up, and they were reading Scripture. They were praying together. People started structures outside of the state church. So they had orphanages, hospitals, prayers, prayer houses. I mean, this was a thing when people become alive in their faith. So the question is, how do you think the national Norwegian leaders and church leaders responded to Haugi. Bad, very good. He was a threat, exactly. As a matter of fact, he was uh, labeled a troublemaker and he was put in jail for 10 years. Because, why why do you think he was a threat to the state church? Power. It was all about power power. They, weren't, they couldn't control him. And by the way, you see the same thing happening in our world today. In Indiana, there's a child that was removed from a Christian household because the parents refused to use the gender pronouns that the child wanted to use, right? But you also see this in Germany. You see this in England. You see this in a lot of other areas where the state tries to control the faith. So, in Norway, there was the Lutheran church. That was the official state church, and they controlled just about everything. It says the state paid for everything for the church, including the pastor's salary, pension. All right, you're not going to do what we want? Well, we aren't going to pay you. Congregations had little to no control over the affairs. The only right given was to choose their own hymnal. That's it. They had to follow everything else. So he was labeled a troublemaker. But here's the question. If you jail a Christian, does that stop the Lord? It doesn't, does it? Right? When you start to take a look and what's happened throughout history, just go to the book of Acts, right? You find this. So true revival is not stopped by man. It is continued on by God. And so we're going to trace that now to a, a guy named Gissel, if I'm pronouncing it right. Anybody do, Norwegians here? All right. Gissel? Gissel. Gissli. Gisley, I'll go with that. I think I heard that. Christian Johnson, 1822 to 1894. So he held a lot of Bible studies which really sparked a spiritual awakening. So whereas Hauge went into the countryside with a lot of the poorer people, the lower class, this was now in the cities and the upper classes and into the clergy. So in one sense, it completed what Haugi started. He was doing on the outer parts of Norway and the Johnsonian revival, that's what they call it, really was in the inner city. So then uh, along this time comes a fellow named George Sverdrup. Now, he plays very, very prominently in the whole Lutheran free move church movement so he emphasized his big emphasis was on the local congregation being the right form of church not the state right not the overarching organization but the local congregation it, so uh, a smattering of some quotes here put together in the New Testament there is no talk about any bishops controlling things. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I I know how it's supposed to sound, but my my brain isn't going to do it. No talk about bishops nor church councils or synods, right? You've heard about those in a lot of denominations. So they're controlled from top down by bishops, councils, synods. Rather, there is a congregation in each place where there are Christians. And this congregation has its elders, right, that provide some order for the local congregation. But there is no church rulership of any sort. And this is going to, we're going to get this next week, not even the pastor. Hmm. It's supposed to be the congregation together. So so what is the congregation? What is the church, right? That's a question, and it's a question that people have struggled with a lot. Well, church, actually, if you go to the Greek, ecclesia, it means uh, out of or out from, and those who are called or summoned. So you could say, what is church? Church is the people who have been called out by God. That's it. It doesn't speak about any structure, does it? It just says, you have been called out by God. We have been called out by God. So what have we been called out from? So he called you from death to life, from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. Impure to a holy living, right? There's that piety if you want it right there. He called you through the gospel. This is church. Now, you might say, well, are there some marks of a church? You know, how would we recognize a church? Well, very simply, the biblical congregation is meant, what we mean by biblical congregation is meant an assembly of believers with the right preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. So what's church? By the way, this is very Lutheran. We'll get to that later on. Church is the assembly of believers where the gospel in its purity is preached. And the sacraments in their purity are administered. So we'll talk about more of that later on. But if you want to say, hey, well, what's a church? Well, first of all, it's got to be a body of believers, and thus the gospel has to be present. Because if the gospel's not present, or if it's changed, right? Like there's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, where one of their so-called pastors gave a glitter creed. Instead of the Apostles' Creed, it was a woke glitter creed. And if Yeah, it turns your stomach when you listen to it. That's not a church. So, that's what they were doing. He had two fundamental passions. The freedom of the local congregation, and uh, next week we're going to get more into this. That's why reading that document is going to be helpful. And life within the congregation. And that's something that visitors, when they come here, whether they say it or not, there's a certain life that we have here. Right? There's a life in the Spirit. It Normally, you talk about it, everybody's friendly and this and that, but there's something a little bit more than that. That's what Sphedrop said. There has to be a life within the congregation. So our motto if you will, is a free and living congregation. All right. So you got Sverdrup and another guy named Sven Ofdahl. I I, I want to do accents here, but I'm not going to. So they they and by the way, these are brilliant men. I mean how quickly uh they learned, they went, they got their college degrees. They got their doctorate. I mean, I'd like pale in comparison. But they get together and they, and at this time, you know, America's opening up. And so they go to Minnesota, Minnesota, right? Minnesota. So they go there and there is a college, a seminary called Augsburg College. So they become professors, teachers at Augsburgs. But it wasn't an easy road for any of this. You see, in Norway, there's one Lutheran church. (laughs) But when you come to America, how many Lutheran churches do you have? Well, you had even more back then. There had been a lot of uh, uh, combining since that time, but there were a ton. And believe it or not, they didn't all agree with each other. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean... There was a lot of infighting. I mean, a lot. You like the graphic? I thought it was kind of cute, you know. So I, I took a class uh, this past August at the, uh, at the seminary, and it really did cover much more in-depth, the history. I just couldn't believe how much headbutting, fighting. But when it's important, you've got to take a stand. So we'll talk about that a little later on. But, hey, these are just a couple of the bodies. There was something called the Conference. There was the Norwegian Augustana Synod. Here's one I don't even know much about, the Anti-Missourian Brotherhood. So the Missouri Synod, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, apparently there was an anti-brotherhood for that. Uh, There was Haugi Synod. that, That was a split off from another synod. There's the United Church. I mean, there's a lot. I'm covering a lot of history here, just skim it over. But what happened in 1896, a fellowship, and I say fellowship specifically, not a synod, not a denomination, but a fellowship, was formed called the Lutheran Free Church. A voluntary fellowship of autonomous congregations that we're bound together by a spiritual rather than external bond. So this is important because the AFLC is not a denomination. Technically, we're not a denomination. We are a fellowship. As a matter of fact, when you go to uh, the all-church meeting, all-congregation all, uh, all meetings, and things are voted on, none of it's binding Because we are a fellowship, and we are a fellowship in the spirit, not by organizational charts. This is a big part of what it means to be free. So the primary question was, how can we provide an an organizational structure that will permit cooperation among the congregations, yet preserve the freedom of the congregations? So we want to cooperate together. How do we do that without imposing a structure which becomes a top-down approach? And this is a tug-of-war. It is a tug-of-war. What country do we live in? The United States of America. And it is comprised of independent states who bond together for the common good, right? Have you noticed any top-down approaches being used lately? Maybe since the very beginning? (laughs) That's the tug of war, right? Uh, What's the state with the motto, don't tread on me? New Hampshire, okay. oh, Oh, sorry, live free or die. What is it? Don't tread on me? Oh, now we're all going to Google it. Okay. But (laughs) it's the Marines. (laughs) But, right, there's a tug of war, right? States' rights versus the Union. That's a natural tug of war. Who is it? Who? South Carolina, don't tread on me? Wow. South Carolina. All right, I would have flunked that quiz. But you understand, right, in the United States, this this is what's at war right now. One of the things is that tug of war between individual rights and organizational or union rights. That's human nature. We have that also at the church level that will always be the tug of war. So do you have a theological identity first and foremost, what God says, or do you have an organizational identity first and foremost? So this vision, right, of having churches, having that autonomy, it's a hard thing to keep because people want to give up their freedom so easily. I mean, I can tell you what I've worked against so much here is that, oh, it's the pastor's church. That was ingrained when I came here. It's the pastor's church. It's like, no, it's not my church. It's our church. I have a role here, of course. I get it. God gave certain things as part of structure. Because we need that, but it's not my church. Do you get the tug of war even right there? Even right there, that's a tug of war. So, some of the things within this tug of war—wouldn't it create more order and right doctrine if it's a top-down approach? Right? We got our doctrine. We we got to do that. We got to save the doctrine at all costs. Can you trust a local organization? And by the way, there's plenty of examples where congregations have gone way off the rails. And how much freedom are we willing to give up in order to keep the peace? These are all things that were the tug of war. So what they got together in creating the Lutheran Free, the Free Lutheran churches, the fellowship, is they said, well, what are some foundational principles that will guide us along the way? And there are actually 12 of them, and they are in one of those documents over there. They list them out. uh, I took a look and I said, well, you know what? I think you could kind of group them into three areas because I think they kind of fit together a little bit that way. The first, uh, is, the first theme is the free congregation, then there's the living congregation, and then there's cooperation with others. So, and I listed them on there, uh, how I think they might go together by themes. So here's the first theme. The free congregation, according to the word of God, the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. Not an organizational structure, but the local church. If you read Revelation, Jesus didn't give the letters to the seven synods in the area. He gave them to the churches. Because that's where the life of Christ, the kingdom of God, is really seen. It's the local body. According to the New Testament, the congregation needs external organization with membership role, elections of officers, stated times, places for gathering, and other similar provisions. You know what? We need order. If we don't have some order, nothing works. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, and I'm not promoting this, but Robert's Rules of Orders started in a church because people were trying to create order. So that's what was going on there. All right. Again, can you hear how Robert's Rules of Orders can become a thing in and of itself? Yeah, all right. All right, so let's go on here. The congregation directs its own affairs subject to the authority of the Word and the Spirit of God and acknowledges no other ecclesiastical authority or government from above. That's it. We direct our own affairs. Every congregation, as well as every individual believer, is constrained by the Spirit of God and by the privileges of Christian love to do good work and to work for the salvation of souls and the quickening of spiritual life as far as as its abilities and power permit. Such free spiritual activity is limited neither by parish nor by synodical bounds. You and I are a spiritual group, first and foremost. And we are both constrained and compelled to do good work and to get out the message of salvation to all who would hear. Okay, living this kind of goes in the living congregation. The congregation consists of believers who, by using the means of grace, so what's a means of grace? We'll get into this more when we do the Lutheran part, but we think that there are, we, we believe, not just think, we believe there are three means by which God gives grace. One is in the preached word, so there's a proclamation of forgiveness of sin. Where else do you see the forgiveness of sin? You see it in baptism. And what's the other sacrament we have? The Lord's Supper or communion. We think these, we not think, we believe these are three means of grace. Okay? Okay. So the congregation consists of believers who, by using the means of grace and the spiritual gifts as directed by the Word of God, seek salvation and eternal blessedness for themselves and for their fellow man. Members of the organized congregation are not, in every instance, believers. So that's quite the statement, isn't it? See, you can have a, you can have a group group a congregation, and within that congregation, you will have both saved and unsaved people. The unsaved people are the ones who say, well, I belong to Joy Church, so I'm good to go, right? So, they address that. Members of the organized congregation are not, in every instance, believers. And such members often derive false hope from their external connection with the congregation. It is therefore the sacred obligation of the congregation to purify itself by the quickening preaching of the Word of God, by earnest admonition and exhortation, and by expelling the openly sinful and perverse. So to really, to be a living congregation... Everyone's supposed to be having a living faith. doesn't mean we're all perfect, but we are to have that living faith and to keep preaching even if people don't like it. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me say, I'm not here for your happiness. I'm here for your holiness. Amen. Come join us. Have a seat. All right, good. Have a seat. All righty. <laughs> so the living congregation, a free congregation esteems and cherishes all spiritual gifts, which the Lord gives for its edification and seeks to stimulate and encourage their use. So what is a living congregation in which everybody is using their spiritual gifts? Even if you think yours isn't so good. Okay. Now, let's go to mutual cooperation. A free congregation gladly accepts the mutual assistance which congregations can give one another in the work for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So we cooperate with each other. We have a ministerial in town. The church is in town as part of this ministerial. We cooperate each other, with each other for the kingdom of God. Such assistance generally cons- uh, consists partly in the mutual sharing of spiritual gifts among the congregations through the conference, exchange visits, lay activities, whereby congregations are mutually edified and partly in the and partly in the voluntary and spirit prompted cooperation of congregations for the accomplishing of such tasks as ex- I should take a big breath as exceeded as exceed the ability of the individual congregation. So not every congregation has resources for everything, right? So we share back and forth. That's in part why we also contribute to world missions for our missionaries in Paraguay. So we get together and we do that. All right. And uh, there's mutual cooperation. I'm just going to leave this here going forward. Okay. Okay. All of these in 18, what was 1896, I believe. So these are the founding principles. These are still the principles by which we adhere to today. Now, so they founded this fellowship, but there was still a lot more infighting. And one of the main things is that I've talked about people want to give up their freedom. They are willing to give up their freedom, and there's also a progressive drift, and we have certainly seen that throughout, too. So, we're skipping now to the 1950-1963 era. There were votes, and by the way, people who wanted the merger played dirty. They changed some of the rules because they weren't getting the right number of votes. They weighted the votes a certain way. Uh, People were dissuaded from voting. I mean, it was, yeah, it was not good. And so in in 1955, 57, and 61, all the votes came in. And uh, notice that the raw vote percentage dropped over all three referendums. So they got less and less support, but because they weighted it a certain way, it eventually passed, this merger. Yet there were people who said, no, we are giving up our freedom. We are giving up what we hold dear. We are giving up a true uh, spirit-filled life. And so on October, in October 1962, Representatives from approximately 70 Lutheran-free church congregations, resistant to the merger, gathered in Three River Falls, Minnesota, to form what became the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations, founded on the fundamental principles of the Lutheran-free church. I skipped a lot of history. Does that give you at least a flavor? So... We are working on standing fast in both the freedom and both aliveness in the Spirit. So that's what we'll cover next week. Okay? Was this about the good pace, good amount for you? All right. And if not, you can tell me afterwards. Let's have a... So what do we have next? We have a time of prayer. Okay. I'm going to cover that next week. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get in just uh, small groups. It's really easy. There's a small group right here. You can do two small groups if you want. You can do some other small groups. What I'd like you to do is uh, take about five minutes, seven minutes, and pray together. That's it. I know. For some, that's scary. But this is the fellowship of believers. So if you are uh, with us online, just take time out and pray, okay? Take just another moment to complete your prayers. All right, let's wrap up, please. good to pray together, isn't it? It's just good to pray. So as we grow as a body of believers, praying together with each other, that's a fellowship that is truly divine, truly divine. All right, so we're going to close tonight with song, and we have How Great Thou Art. And you know what? Let's stand for this one, right? You got to stand for this song.
2: Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's my hands have made. I see the stars, I hear And sings my soul for I say sings my soul
0: in peace as free and living members in the body of Christ. Thanks be to God. to God. Have a blessed evening and we'll see you for Sunday.